Well, this is an exciting time of year to be bringing a message to you, isn't it? We're all excited. Christmas is coming. You might be having family over. Um, you might be hoping that you get a certain gift. Um, the children will be all excited, won't they? Just this week, I've had a little, um, a little video clip from my granddaughter showing me her Christmas tree. <laughs> it's really sweet. And this is the purple one, and I really like this one. So it's it's an exciting time of year and it's good for us as Christians as well isn't it when we stop and we think about what Jesus really means to us so this morning I know we've all got our expectations but this morning we're going to be thinking about great expectations so I want to pray Lord we look to you we look to you, the God of the unexpected, the God who does crazy, unimaginable things. And Lord, we ask you this morning that you will come and you'll touch our hearts afresh with the amazing story of Christmas. Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, will you come and will you show us what you want us to see? In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I borrowed the title from Charles Dickens, Great, um, Great Expectations. And when we come to look at the Bible, we find that there was, at the time of Jesus, there was a very great expectation that the Messiah, the Christ, would come. And it was then, they expected the Messiah then. Um, I just want to say that Christ and Messiah are completely interchangeable. Messiah just comes from the Hebrew, Mashiach, which is to uh, anoint, and Christos comes from the Greek, and that is to, to rub or to smear, and it's all about being anointed with the Holy Spirit. So at this time, when Jesus was about to come, the Jewish people were expecting their Messiah, uh, crazy though it was, that is the time they expected. And that Messiah would look like um, a, a king who comes in glory, a king who will be a world leader and rule from Jerusalem and rule the whole earth from Jerusalem. They also knew that the Jews who'd been dispersed among the nations, they would come back at that time as well. And they expected that the temple would be rebuilt at the same time. And they expected that the nations would bring their wealth into the house of God. And the really exciting thing for the Jews at that time was the temple had been mainly rebuilt. Herod the Great, who ruled Judea from 37 BC to 4 BC, he began rebuilding the temple in 19 BC, and it had mostly finished by 9 BC. So you can just see the Jews thinking, this is a sign. The Messiah is coming. There were also some Jewish scholars who had worked out that 76 generations had passed since the creation of the world, and they believed and had a prophecy which said that the Messiah would deliver Israel from its foreign rulers in the 77th generation. And that was between 1 BC 
and 1 AD. So there was great excitement and great expectancy. There were people like Simeon and Anna. We read about them in Luke 2. They were actively waiting for the Messiah to come. Anna had spent all her time in the temple praying, fasting, looking for this great event. And it says that when she finally did see Jesus, she was very excited and she began to speak to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. So you're seeing that there were people at that time very desperate to see God come again, the Messiah come and bring everything under a godly order. So when John the Baptist arrived and started proclaiming his message, we find in Luke 3 verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if in their hearts John might possibly be the Christ, the Messiah. Of course, he told them quite clearly, it's not me, I'm just the one who's called to proclaim his coming. He is far greater than me. I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. He existed before I was born. Ah, starts to blow your mind. And then he says, even when you get to see him, you're not going to recognize him or embrace him because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was not in their thinking. Messiah, Lamb of God, not in their thinking at all. As we read our Gospels, we find clearly little examples of what really they were expecting. So I'd just like us to look, first of all, at Zechariah's song. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And um, when John was finally born, and, Messiah, and um, Zechariah was given his um, voice back again, God had to keep him quiet so he wouldn't speak a whole load of unbelief and stop what God wanted to happen. He was ecstatic when John was born. And he, he said this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we can see from this that the Messiah was specifically expected to save the Jews from those people who oppressed them. And at that time, that was obviously the Romans. So we see the phrase, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to rescue us from our enemies. So this was what they were expecting. Simeon's song, 
is also recorded in Acts. And he adds the thing that actually this Messiah is going to bring revelation to the Gentiles. How we thank God for that, don't we? That we have been included in the plan of God's salvation. I'm really thankful for that. And Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. How lovely that is. So there were other expectations. They, um, some people expected that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. Do you remember the bit where the, the Magi come and they ask Herod, um, where's the king? There's a king being born. And where would your king come from, said, you know, says um, Herod to, to the Jewish people. Where, where are you expecting him from? And without hesitation, they just said, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from ancient times. Interestingly, there was a different opinion as well. Some people felt that you wouldn't know where the Messiah came from. And we find that in John 7, where the people have been having a discussion. Could, could Jesus be the Messiah? Could he? Well, I wonder if he is. And they said to themselves, could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. The one thing they were all absolutely agreed on was that the Messiah would be the son of David. Everybody knew that. Jesus once asked the Pharisees what they thought about the Christ, whose son they thought he was, and without hesitation they go, the son of David. But their picture of a son of David was a man wielding a sword, was a man out to have victory over all their enemies, particularly those nasty Romans who'd taken over their country. And they were seeing that he would come and he would wield a sword and he would get rid of the Romans and he would take to make um, everyone subservient to Israel. So they were very sure about that. You can imagine how offended they were when people started to call Jesus the son of David. When the blind men, who kind of didn't know much about the teaching of the law, but they still call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Amazing how God gives that revelation to people who are just open, isn't it? And yet to the mind of the Pharisees, they didn't see that at all. And when Jesus came, eventually riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, everyone was going, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amazing. Hosanna to the son of David. And when the, they were all pretty well agreed that 
this Messiah, when he came, he would know everything. He would know every single thing. And when Jesus had this interesting conversation with the woman at the well, and she was getting a bit confused with what Jesus was saying, and she sort of said, well, I know when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. He'll explain everything to us. And when he did, Jesus started to unpick her own life and show her the things that she thought was, were covered And he was showing us a different way of speaking and being that knowing everything that he wants to engage very personally with each one of us. And then the final thing I'm going to look at was that the Messiah was expected to live forever. We see this when the crowd that gathered around Jesus in Jerusalem on his grand entry had difficulty with him talking about his imminent death. And they say, we understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? But here's the thing. As we have looked at these expectations of the Messiah, we see that they were expecting something far grander, far far bigger, far more important than what happened. When Jesus came, it blew all their expectations out of the water. And it blows mine. It blows my mind. After waiting years and years, God just slips Jesus into the world. And how does he do it? By implanting a seed in the womb of an ordinary girl, probably about 14, allowing himself to be made into that fetus in her womb. She was engaged to an ordinary man, a carpenter. No big fanfare. No roll of drums, no putting it out on social media. Born into an ordinary world, keeps him under the radar as much as possible. Gives him unimportant parents, no nobility, no royalty. Not only were they ordinary, but they were poor. We know this by the gift they came to give for Mary's cleansing at the temple. If you had the money, you'd give a lamb. And they had to go for the other alternative, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. He was poor. He was poor. The king of kings and the lord of lords becomes a fetus in the womb of an unmarried girl, an ordinary girl, it blows my mind. We get so numb. We've heard, this, we've heard the Christmas story so often. We forget what it is we're dealing with. We're dealing with outrageous grace. We're dealing with a king who, who comes to the smallest, most insignificant place and just is born quietly in a stable, not even an ordinary bedroom, a stable. 
which was probably smelly with all the poo of the animals. He comes down. How heaven stoops. How heaven stoops. So few people knew. Only a bunch of shepherds out in the fields, and they would be the last people you would be expecting to come and to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, born in a stable. So unexpected, so played down. This was not like anyone was expecting at all. The Magi, when they came, they came to look in a palace. Isn't that where, isn't that where kings are born? It's obvious. A king is born in a palace. And people worship and people are happy and celebrate. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was really unbelievable to the Jews. They couldn't get their heads around it. This was not the Messiah they were waiting for. And for Mary, the magnificent words that the angel had spoken over, to, over her must have just had to take root in her heart so deeply. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The people of the time had such difficulty with this. This Jesus that came, that didn't look like the Messiah they were expecting. Even Jesus' own disciples had difficulty with it. They couldn't get their heads around it. And so it wasn't until after Jesus had died and rose again that he began to unpack all those scriptures which talked about the suffering servant, which talked about the, the cross and the Son of Man giving his life. He had to teach them all these things. He had to open their minds because they could not get that he was the Messiah. And we know that one time he was just share, came alongside two guys who were really disillusioned. They were walking home from Jerusalem and Jesus had just been crucified on the cross. And they're just trying to get their heads around it. And then Jesus comes up and they don't recognize him. Of course they don't. He died. He comes up beside them. And they say to him, oh, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And Jesus almost tells them off. And he says, you're slow to believe all that the prophets have written. And he starts to unpack the scriptures, all the prophecies in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah. And he gets back and, and he pretends he's moving on. And then they say, come and sit with us. We're just going to have some food. We want to hear more of what you're going to say. And as they sat down and Jesus broke the bread, I guess they saw his nail-pierced hands. 
I guess their eyes were suddenly supernaturally opened and they realized this was Jesus. But they need to be taught. We need to be taught. We need to understand that our great expectations need to come from the revelation that only Holy Spirit can give. Simeon and Anna in the temple, when Jesus was presented as a baby, they could have just seen a cute, cuddly baby, another poor couple coming to get cleansing from the birth. They could have just seen the ordinary, but Holy Spirit drops in them the revelation, this baby, this baby is the Messiah. They saw not a baby, but they saw salvation in that little bundle. They saw that the world would be changed because of his birth. And they saw that not just Jewish people, but us too, all Gentiles would be impacted by this particular Messiah. They started to understand that God's plan was so much bigger than their expectations. The whole world, the whole world would be impacted by that baby. What an amazing God we have that he would just stoop to that place for us. We know he's coming again. We know that he's going to put things in order and there's never been a time when we've needed his help to put things in order more than we do now. He is coming again, but his plan was so, so amazing and so, so unique. The plan for all people to be saved and put in a relationship with God. I just love the way God does things. We have these expectations, and actually he has these expectations. We, are, we just need to tune in to him. We need to for our own expectations as well. I want us to think about our own expectations this Christmas. Are there things that you're hoping for, that you're praying for, that you want to see happen this year. Maybe you've had a word from God and he said, this is going to happen. And you're like, oh, and it's been ages since it happened. Hang on to that word. God's plans are bigger than our own, so much bigger. And sometimes he is waiting for us to open up our minds so we can receive the unexpected Expect the unexpected this year. Expect God to do amazing things in your life. Expect his plans to be bigger, bigger for you than you even want. Sometimes we don't want that massive plan. Sometimes we like, we like things we can control, don't we? Isn't that half the problem with God? We can't control him. We can't control certain things in our lives, and we like to do that. We need to let go of our control, and we need to let God do whatever he wants to do, and we need to grow into what he wants for us. 
Simeon and Anna had waited their whole lives to see the Messiah. Their whole lives. Their whole lives. Simeon goes, now I'm ready to die, God, because you've done it. You've shown me the Messiah. Anna, 80 plus years in the temple, worshipping, praying, fasting, just sees that baby. Didn't see the fullness of it, but they knew I want to talk about waiting. How do we wait well? How do we wait well? Are we going to wait like Simeon and Anna in that prayerful attitude where we're looking for God and we're just saying, God, you've said these things to me. I'm waiting. I'm believing. I'm expectant. I'm hopeful that those things you've said to me will happen in due course. I'd like to read to you just a small thing out of um, Henri Nguyen. And he talks about radical waiting. And he talks as well about, what's on the next page quickly, active waiting. In the Bible, waiting was never like, wonder when this bus is coming. I can't do anything about it. Waiting was always eyes on the king, listening, praying, urging, walking in step with the Spirit. So this is what Henri Nguyen said. I have found it very important in my own life to try and let go of my wishes. That's hard sometimes. And instead to live in hope. I'm finding that when I choose to let go of my sometimes petty and superficial wishes and trust that my life is precious and meaningful in the eyes of God, something new, something beyond my own expectations begins to happen in me. To wait with openness and trust is an enormously radical attitude towards life. It's choosing to hope that something is happening for us that is far beyond our own imaginings. It's giving up control over our future and letting God define our life. It's living with the conviction that God molds us in love, holds us in tenderness, and moves us away from the sources of our fear. Our spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present to the moment, expecting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination or prediction. This, indeed, is a very radical stance toward life in a world occupied with control. As we sort of come to a close, I'd just like to encourage you to just give your expectations your hopes and your fears for the future to God. And let go. Let go of your desire to control and make something happen. And let go of your small thinking. Think big. Think bigger. God has got so much more. And what will you see this Christmas? Will you see just that tiny baby in that manger, cute and cuddly, Or will you see salvation 
the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, breaking through in history, bringing us into connection with the Father. God always has so, so much more, always so much more. Believe him and trust him and hang in there for the things you've been waiting for. He will do what he says he will do. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today. We thank you for your amazing, your radical coming into the world. So unexpected, so unexpected. Nobody knew that this was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for just seeing the tiny baby. Just, Lord, expand our vision this morning that you would leave everything in glory and come here in the smallest, most tiny, insignificant way as one who serves, as one who lays down his life, as one who pours out who he is for people. Lord, we just are amazed at what you've done. And we give you thanks. We worship you, Lord. We worship you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has saved us, the one who has given his life not just for the Jews, but for the world. Lord, help us to see through your eyes. Help us to be in tune with you, Lord. And when you want to do the next crazy and radical and out there thing, may we see it, Lord. May we not miss it like the Pharisees did who just were looking for such a certain thing that they miss the move of God. They miss what's, what you are doing because they're expecting something else. Open us up, Lord that we will expect the unexpected. We will expect you, God, to do something more amazing and wonderful in this coming year than you've done ever before, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.